Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Hey, everybody. It's nice to hear from you. This is Jackie, and um, today I'm sharing some things that are shifting in me. I think it's what happens when you age. You know, I'm not dying or anything, but I am heading towards 60, and you know what I used to need or desire or drive for? Well, it's changed, at least some. And I hear that from other people my age. So I thought I'd share with you what I think is shifting Perhaps it will give words to your own experience, and maybe it's a thought you're going to need to tuck away for your future when you find yourself here too. So the shift is that I feel like I'm getting quieter. I know, kind of funny, right? Like, you may not believe that since you always hear me talking, but I sense that the Spirit is asking me to get quieter. And here's what I mean by that. I used to preach to 3,000 people, and now... I prefer to walk alongside maybe 30. I used to teach the Bible every week to women, thousands of women. And now I really kind of only want to talk when I sense God wants to say something through me. So for weeks leading up to the last podcast, I kept asking Jesus, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? And there was just silence. I went back through these old sermons. I mean, I have hundreds and hundreds of sermons, and I kept thinking, is there any passion? Is there anything sparking in you, Jackie? And nope. Instead, I just kept sensing the Spirit saying, be quiet. And it occurred to me, there's so much noise out here. It seems like everyone has something to say about everything. Don't you sometimes just want to yell, everybody shut up? (laughs) I mean, it's a little exhausting listening to all these podcasts and Zoom shows and, and having to grow in this area and get better in that and apply ourselves more to this. And so I shared my dilemma with my spiritual director and I told her I was kind of feeling fake or forced to put out something on the podcast to meet a deadline that, by the way, I had set for myself when I had nothing to say. What I really wanted to do was get on the podcast and just go silent so that you could have time to be silent too. This space where you could hear God say to you, I'm very satisfied with you, just as you are. Satisfied with you, just as you are. My spiritual director listened to my rant, and then she said, you know, Jackie, many of us are raised to be prejudiced against our own inner knowing. We spend time and energy listening to others' tips, tricks, and advice and authority instead of learning gentle ways to listen to our own. Now, you need to know she's a Franciscan. So she believes, as I'm coming to believe, that we have answers within. 
the divine in, is in us, and together we can discover our path. We can discover answers to our dilemmas, to what we're supposed to do or not do. Now, I want to balance that out because I think getting wise counsel is crucial and even biblical. But I wonder if we're running around frantically trying to find the key to wholeness by listening to everyone else except God and ourselves collectively together. In the Shaker tradition, they have this really cool thing called a clearness circle. I'll say it again because it's new to me and so therefore might be new to some of you. A clearness circle. That's where you come and present your dilemma, your problem, something you're trying to solve or get through. Should you take this promotion? Should you go this way or that way? And you get about 15 minutes to share what's going on. And then the group of five to seven people just ask you questions. They give no advice, no, oh, yeah, that happened to me. Let me tell you how I did it. They just continue to ask you questions based on the things that you answer because they believe that ultimately you already have the answer within yourself. And between you and the Spirit, you can come up with your own conclusions. And, you know, Jesus did that a lot, didn't he? He asked questions. Someone would ask him a question, and what did Jesus do? Most often, he answered their question with another question. Let me tell you, that can get on a girl's nerves. But his point was to help us to think deeper, to go inward, to really seek out what's at play here. So I'm shifting. And I was trying to describe this shift to a couple of friends who came to visit this past week. We've known Kim and John for 25 years. They attended the same church for over a decade where we were pastors and we were friends. And during their stay, Kim asked me how the Marcella Project was going. I started the Marcella Project, I think, about 12 years ago. It's a ministry committed to ennobling, and I choose that word very specifically because ennobling means to lift up to nobility, to dignity. And so it's a ministry committed to ennobling women through scripture-based teaching, training, and dialogue. And since its inception, I wanted the Marcella Project to be small and spirit-led. Small because I wanted, um, no, I actually needed to be known. Because the truth is, when you serve thousands of people in a megachurch, you're a talking head. You're teaching from a sage, stage, you're set apart, and I, my soul was relationally dying from that. People thought they knew me, but they didn't know me. One time this woman came up to me in another area and said, hey, oh, I know who you are, you're Jackie so-and-so. And I said, no, actually, you don't know me, but if you would like to get to know me, we can have coffee and start that process. She didn't know me. She knew what I let her see from the stage. And I was at a point in my life where I needed incarnate friendships, depth. And that often, most often, I might even say only in small settings. And I also wanted this ministry to be spirit-led. You see, I had worked in ministries where leaders were doing a lot of strategizing and planning and meetings and implementing. But to be honest, not a whole lot of asking the spirit what God wanted. I mean, one time I was in a preaching meeting, and all the men were trying to decide what series we would teach next. And I asked a very simple question. Well, where do you think the people in our church are at? What themes are you hearing from them and the Spirit? And there were a whole lot of blank stares. And I realized, oh, this church is so big, they are separated away from the flock. That's what happens when you get too big. But I also 
think we had gotten to a place in the church where we didn't seek what God was up to rather than told God what we were doing and asked him to bless it. I know that sounds harsh, but hey, I was part of that too. So I told Kim that I sensed that the Marcella Project was shifting again at this season, 12 years later, to a more quiet, to a more sage or mentoring, coaching, spiritual guiding kind of thing in the next 10 years. I'm not really sure what word goes with it yet. And then I went on to explain that I have given birth to an intellectual body of work that I was supposed to give to this world. It's my baby, and it's been born. And I mean, I'll continue to finesse that body of work, but nothing new or cutting edge is coming, I think. And in fact, I'm watching other women take the work that I birthed and make more of it, and it's awesome. And I think John felt bad for me because it sounded like I was saying I was all washed up, I had nothing more to offer this world, but that's not what I was saying at all. I find it interesting that we feel uncomfortable with the idea of, of appearing smaller less significant or productive in the world's eyes or our family's eyes or our Christian community's eyes. And notice I use the word appear. I'm wondering if somehow we've incorporated the idea that humans are machines. I mean, seriously, I challenge you to listen to how you and others talk about humans this week. We say things like we aren't or we are performative or productive or efficient And I hear those words and I think, wow, we aren't machines, we're humans. I can't even imagine Jesus ever coming and using those descriptors for me or for you or anyone else. Can you hear him? Wow, I love him because he's so productive. Can you hear Jesus say his worth is because he's so efficient? No, that is not where our value lies. We are not machines. We are God's image bearers. I remember when I was struggling with a bout of depression and I couldn't get off the couch. And boy, that inner critic was doing a job on me. You know that person too, right? You have your own. And Jesus and I were chatting and he showed me a few visions of how there would be seasons throughout my life where I'd have nothing to offer, or at least by society's standards, I'd have nothing to offer. I'd be laid out. And That was true when I had babies. I mean, I was in this nine-month black tunnel after each birth. It was a good day if I could get a shower before Steve got home at 5 o'clock. And in that bout of depression, my sweet Jesus just hung there with me as if he had nowhere else to go. Not an ounce of disappointment or disapproval oozed out of him. He seemed fine with me. I felt pressure, but it didn't come from my Savior. His love for me was, and is, unconditional, not based on what I can and can't do. My value wasn't based on my productivity then, and it's not now, and neither is yours, no matter what the world, your family, or your Christian faith says to you. Jesus is pretty smitten with you. Your value and worth are not tied to your beauty, your position, your status, ministry size, corporate size, mine neither. It's anchored in our being God's image bearer. And every time something else other tries to define our worth, we're going to have to resist, persist, push back and say, no, that is not God's narrative. A few weeks back, I sat with a young woman who ministers. 
and she asked me, Jackie, where do you see your work going? And it took me a moment to answer because I was really trying to hear anything that the Spirit might be saying to me before I answered her. And up popped the word mothering. And it kind of surprised me. I'd rather use any other term than mothering. Because mothering isn't an official title. It doesn't carry as much weight in the workplace, right? Um, and, And in the church, well, that's the only role we have for women. And besides, I never wanted to be a mother. So the word came up. And I think it's been coming up, but I've been ignoring it. Mothering. I mean, to be honest with you, Dr. Reverend Jackie Reese carries more weight than mothering. But I've been thinking about that. And I was explaining that to Kim and John. I think I'm supposed to mother. And then I shared some stories to help explain what I mean by that and why I see that happening. And I started with a story about Hunter, my oldest son. He had just gotten his first car. He had just left a high school, high school party where um, this girl in his class had called while he was on the road leaving the party and saying that she was feeling sexually harassed and could Hunter come and get her and take her back home. And so Hunter turned his car around, the adrenaline was running, and he drove too fast, and he crashed his car. And I got to tell you, when he called me, I was so upset. I mean, no mom wants to hear their son just got in a car accident. And so what did I do? I called my mom. And she said, in her calm, been there, done that voice, well, that's very good, because everybody gets in an accident with their first car, and now Hunter's is over. Yeah, that's what she said. And everything in me was like, oh, yeah. That's right. And I calmed down, right? This, this older perspective, it carried with it calmness when it feels like calamities of life are happening. By the way, aren't, they aren't always calamities, but they can feel like it, right? Life hits us with big stuff and little stuff, and much of it is just normal hard stuff. And having someone older who's walked it calmly speak to our lives and assure us that humans have gone through this before and survived and thrived, and we will too. And then I told um, Kim and John how this theme of mothering had been cropping up over and over the past years. Remember, I said I've been ignoring it. And that's usually how I know what Jesus is saying to me, because it comes to me over time in all kinds of places and spaces. That's usually Jesus saying, hey, this is what I want to talk to you about. And it just so happened a while back, I had an encounter with a group of women Uh, with a woman, with several women actually, who'd lost their mothers through death or had just never been mothered well by their own mother. And I heard in them this desire, and I want to say I think it's a God-ordered desire to be mothered, to have an older woman in their life to confide in, to assure them that they'll get through it, they'll be all right. And it's because of these conversations that I've been having with these women that I've started asking God, is it possible? I mean, I, I know that God is father and he can refather, but is it possible that God could also remother his children? Right? What does it mean for God to remother us? And is it possible that he could remother and fill that hole that these women are experiencing? I suspect so, and so I've been chasing this theologically and researching it in Scripture and in church history. 
And it's with that intention that I had a Catholic friend send me a book on Mary, Jesus' mother, and I'm reading it to understand what she might be able to teach me about Jesus, because after all, she was his mother, and maybe she has something to say about me mothering others. And then I had this encounter with a group of women, mostly in their 40s. Most of them had children. All of them worked full-time in pretty heavy-duty jobs. All of them managed, along with their husbands, I have to say, the home, right? Kids, schooling, sports, jobs, friendship, marriage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And they were feeling overwhelmed by all that they were juggling. I've been there, done that, almost burned out and stroked out twice. My mom calls it being in the middle of the hourglass. You know those little hourglasses you get with board games and you flip them when the sand runs out? That's the image I'm, I'm holding on to. The top of the hourglass is when you have limited responsibilities. Maybe you're not married yet, no kids, you don't have a mortgage, you know. Maybe you've got one foot into college and one foot into adult life. That's at the top. In the middle, well, that's what I just described. Those squeeze years where you're building your careers, money might be a bit tight, there's lots of relationships to manage, there's emotional and kin-keeping labor that's required. Yes, you heard me say that, kin-keeping layer, labor. I just learned what that is. I find it fascinating. You want to know what it is? It's that most women take on the role of kin-keeping, which means they take on the invisible labor of maintaining the family's closeness, not just within her um, internal family, but her external family. Can I get an amen on that? These are the squeeze years. That's the middle of the hourglass. We do, by the way, to encourage some of you that find yourself there, we do come out on the other side. My mom assured me of that. I didn't believe her at the time, but she was right. We do come out on the other side. There's more room on the other side to breathe. Careers are more established. Kids are out of the house. The responsibilities become less and less relationally. Now, I am very aware that what I'm describing isn't everyone's reality, but I am sharing my reality my shift. And this is what I see in a lot of people I know. So back to the group of women in their 40s in the squeeze years. They're sharing about their schedules and exhaustion and, of course, irritations with their husbands not carrying their share. And they were wondering how they could alleviate this stress. Maybe they needed more counseling. Somebody mentioned new, that new mushroom therapy that everybody's raving about. Have you guys heard about that? Like, am I the only one that didn't know and I think it got brought up in this group as a joke, but I'm not really sure. And finally, after a while, I just said, hey, guys, you're fine. Your, your husbands are really good men. They're fine. Your kids, they may seem really wacky. They're probably going to be fine. This, this experience you're describing, I know it feels like a calamity, but it's everyday life. And life is beautiful and broken. Life includes hardship and shit. And you're going to be fine. You're going to get through this too. And you could see the shoulders lower. Now back to the day when the woman asked me, Jackie, where do you see your work going? And the word mothering popped into my head, that word that I really didn't want to embrace. But I told her, I said, I know this is going to sound weird, but the word is mothering. I sense I'm supposed to mother women like you. And she teared up. You see, she's young. She has two little kids. She's finishing her master's. And she's the only woman on her 
all-male leadership team. And she's trying to keep figure out how to keep all these balls up in the air. She loves her work. She loves her family. She wants to do it all really well. Can you relate? But she got teary because the previous week, she had felt overwhelmed by all of these responsibilities and found herself crying. And her husband, another really good man, asked how she could help. he could help her. What did she need? By the way, Steve's been seeing a counselor, and he's learned to ask me this question. What do you need to be heard, helped, or hugged? I love that. He stops and says, what do you need to be heard, helped, or hugged? That's a really good tool, and you guys get it for free. We paid for it. See, this woman's husband wanted to do whatever he needed to support his wife. And she said to him, what I need is to be mothered. What I need is to be mothered. Do you get that? To be mothered. Not like your mother mothered you, but the Jesus kind of way of mothering. The God kind of way of mothering. In this life, we need people who've journeyed a bit farther ahead who will stop, slow down, come near, listen well, and say calmly, well, that's a good thing. Everybody gets in an accident with their first car, and now that's over. That's what I mean by I'm shifting. That's what I mean when I say I'm getting quieter. I want to be smaller, more in-depth, more intimate, less productive, more present. Less productive, more present. I want to persist in being resistant to the false narratives that try to define my worth and yours. Instead, I want to be like the young boy Samuel, who upon hearing God's voice ran toward the divine and said, Speak, your servant is listening. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.